Look at my butt. Show number 255 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Hello! Here we are. We're back. Yes, we are back. And, and as energized and wonderful as we ever are. <laughs> And excited because we have so many great things to talk about today. We do. And we're going to start off with me talking about a dream about Bill that I had, uh, which okay. is unusual. I haven't had a Bill dream in forever. He's, he's sort yeah. of made like cameo appearances in a couple of my dreams, but he hasn't <laughs> featured. But this one he was in. And I don't remember how the dream ended exactly, but the situation in this dream, this is so strange, but whatever. Um, you and I were in a restaurant and we both had dates your Ooh, date was okay. with bill <laughs> Yay! which was great and it was bill from about 19 i want to say like 69 or 70 so just <gasps> kind of okay. post track um and yeah. unfortunately he had kind of a bad toupee which was sad mm. and my date was not with bill my date was with tom hiddleston and i don't know why <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. It was cool. And I was very excited about this date because, you know, he's a very attractive man and all that. And I didn't mm -hmm. know him. Like, somehow I had been set up on this date through other means. And I was very nervous because he's a – like, now he's a big movie star. He wasn't just some English guy. And so right. – um, we got to the restaurant and I was sort of like wondering what was going to happen. And I, and I was saying to you, gosh, you know, we're both here and I'd really like to talk to Bill, but I really have to do this thing with Tom. Can you just like, can you just be with Bill and take up his, his attention and I'll come by later? And you were like, that's not a problem. I can do that. <laughs> because I am so helpful. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You were willing to make that sacrifice for me. But then... So Bill was there and he came up and he's like greeting you. And I was sort of backing away because I didn't want to get too involved. He brought his kids with him to the date with you. Oh, no. <laughs> three of them. All three of them. And they were little kids then in 1969. Yeah. And uh... he was very apologetic. And he's like, look, I'm really sorry. It just didn't work out with my wife, or my ex-wife, whatever. And I'm, I had to bring them. And so I was watching you enduring this from sort of across the restaurant while I was waiting for Tom Hiddleston to show up. And the kids were not well behaved at all. And Bill was having a hell of a time trying to do it. And you were just sitting there like rolling your eyes. Oh, God, I don't like this dream one oh, little no. bit. I'm very, very <laughs> sorry about that. But it was, I mean, Bill looked good and all that. But why, why his kids? I don't know. And then uh, oh. Tom Hiddleston showed up and we started to have dinner and then it turned into some other dream. So, um, yep, that, that was the dream. Don't know what inspired that. Very weird. Wow. Well, so I tried to set you up with Bill, and he brought his kids. Yes. Not my fault that he brought his kids. I didn't tell him to bring his kids. I was just trying to get him on a date with you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your dreaming effort. <laughs> so back in the real world. Yeah. Which one of these do you want to talk about first? I want to talk things? about the first Kirk Spock slash fan fiction. Okay. This is a great article. I actually love the title of it. <laughs> yes, it is from Mary Sue. And the title is, I can't stop thinking about the first published Kirk Spock slash fan fiction. That now, the thing is, what? Yes. The thing is, um, <laughs> there had been uh, 
lots in the early days when you you and I were not involved um there was a lot of you know slashy talk going back and forth between fans and everything but this was the first story to be published in a zine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was called a fragment out of time yeah, and apparently, I have a Xerox copy of this somewhere somewhere really my, well my, there's a yeah. link here to where you can go read it or it tells mm-hmm. you and it's very very short but of course I didn't go read it but anyway mm-hmm. I want to read you a little bit about it says, first of all, its format is absolutely fascinating. Neither character is ever named. And there's a a gaming in the use of pronouns so that it's never precisely clear in the text that it is two men having a romantic encounter. While the narrator of the story, who is being treated to some tender and then increasingly sexual caresses, is called he, it's Spock. (laughs) The second Uh character's actions are shown in an abstract that doesn't require identification or else simply referred to as the other. It's Kirk. He of the, quote, blonde head. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad they didn't say anything about his lion eyes. Then it would have been really, really obvious. Well, I want to read you this little snippet from it, okay? The pressure was delicious. Well-skilled hands made long, swooping strokes from his knees up the inside of his legs to the upper thighs. Now he could not prevent this any more than he could stop a solar eclipse, even if he had really desired to. It had been building all these years. No one set of circumstances was the cause. Now, it seemed it had been inevitable from the outset. (laughs) It's an incredibly complex little thing, she says, to have created a sensation and to be seen as the forerunner of a fiction type for which there are now hundreds of thousands of fan-made works. Yet it kicked open a door that I believe will never be shut again. Um, So going on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Um, A cartoon underneath the final page of the story shows Bones saying to Kirk, impossible. No, Jim, I warned you about messing with aliens, especially Vulcans. (laughs) And he says, the look on Kirk's face in the cartoon implies he has just been told about the existence of slash fiction. Oh, sweetie. (laughs) Yep. Definitely. Yes. Very pained. Yeah. Anyway, her story was greeted with a firestorm of controversy and sparked years of debate within Star Trek (laughs) fan circles. But it also set a precedent. Kirk Spock was out in the open and it would go on to become the granddaddy of Slash. Okay. uh, (laughs) Now, this part I really related to. I spend a lot of my time shaking my fist at younger Mary Sue writers who refer to the pairing as Spurk. Oh, God, I hate that. I just can't stand it. But anyway, where's, I, I have to tell you, listeners, when I sent this link to Lena, I said, within it is a link to another article. But um, this damn thing keeps wanting to reload. But I, I told her, do not click it because I want to to click it. Oh, damn. Anyway, I'm not going to click it because I know exactly what's in it that I wanted to tell you about on the air. Um, okay. You go to this other site, and it's basically all the same information as was in this article. But there's a comment at the end. And for some reason, after this comment, all the comments were closed. 
Oh, okay. Here's the, and the comment basically says this. Wow, this is wonderful. I have read a lot of this stuff, and it never occurred to me, or I never noticed, that it's all written by women. <laughs> uh, okay. What planet is that person from? I don't know, but, you know, I thought, when I first became involved in fandom, I'm sure at some point I realized, you know, it's almost all women here, but mm -hmm. it didn't surprise me. And it actually made a lot of sense in some way, although I have never been able to articulate the, the why we write slash. I mean, everybody's, everybody's got some, there's some variety of reasons, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it made sense. And it's just kind of weird to me that, I don't know, after reading one or two, even if the, the author's names were X, Y, and Z, that you wouldn't catch on to, these are women <laughs> writing this. That is very weird. I mean, I now I'm thinking about my, my experience, and I think I always knew or assumed that it was women who were doing it. Mm -hmm. Writing fan fiction anyway, regardless of yeah. whether it was slashed. Like, I, I knew that... Uh, most of the pocketbooks and things were, they were mostly written by, by men, but there were a lot of women at that time who were writing them, Diane Twain and, and uh, Barbara Hambly and other people. I, I'm kind of amazed that someone, yeah, would be surprised by that. I'm actually looking at this comment right now, and it was left in 2015. I just so saw that's that. A, yeah, I finally got a it comment to load. from 2015 about being surprised. But, you know, I, I will say... Um, on some of the Twitter followers that I uh, follow regularly are comics creators. And at this very moment in time, there's a huge kerfuffle going on because there's a group of people who are against diversity in comics and um, they call themselves comics gate, like Gamergate and Watergate. I've and all those other I things. was reading about that. Yes. Yeah. It's really awful. But one of the people I saw this said um, in a tweet to someone else, um, to a, a person who says, yeah, I love comics and I write comics and I create comics. I love all these things says, well, you're in the extreme minority. There is no community of women who love, you know, geeky, nerdy things like comics and science fiction and fantasy. They don't exist. <laughs> and I was like, really? Wow. That's some attitude to cop in 2018 yeah. when the evidence is all around you everywhere, all at one time in every single place you look like, who do you think makes up these fandoms? Who's doing all the cosplay? Who's writing all the fan fiction? Have you been to any of the fan fiction websites? They're right. It's, it's hundreds of thousands. It's probably more than hundreds of thousands. I would say legitimately, there's probably millions of fan fictions that have been written for every fandom that there are and a large portion of them are slash and it's it's like 99.9% .9 by women. Yes. So I I don't understand how people could believe otherwise. It seems crazy. Well, you know, there's a lot of crazy people out there and and they all have Twitter accounts. <laughs> it's true. It's it's very true. It's very true. Well, thank you very much for sharing this. This is awesome and um I was glad to see an article about this in the Mary Sue in, you know, the year of mm -hmm. our Lord 2018. That's great. Yep. Yep. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, pick another Let's, one. Spin well, the no, wheel. You pick. Oh, okay. Well, I want to talk about this um, 
guy who's suing Discovery. Okay. <laughs> this is interesting. So people may have seen in, in the news recently that a guy who is a video game maker, he is suing Star Trek Discovery for stealing his plot lines and characters. And the name of the video game that he made is called Tardigrades. And that Real? is oh, the basis. Wow. Yeah. So he made this thing in 2014. It's an independent game. Um, very little known from what I've read. Like it really didn't make it far out of the gate. But mm -hmm. he's claiming that they stole key creative elements from what he did. And he further went on to say that he's been trying to have a discussion with CBS about this and that they, he says, they've treated me with disrespect. Um, so therefore, I now need to sue them, which is what he's doing. Wow. So the main claim he's making is that the show supposedly stole the idea that an alien tardigrade is the key to interstellar transport and claims that the relationship between uh, Stamets and Culber is similar to one that's in his game as well. Wow. And this article, which uh, you sent, it's in the Metro UK, kind of outlines a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the game was released on Steam in 2015. And like I said, not too many people seem to know about it. Um, so I was doing a little more digging and it was covered by our friends at uh, axamonitor.com, the people who were covering the whole Axonar thing. Yes. Okay. So what makes it more difficult is that the guy who is suing, his name is Anas Abdin, and he's an Egyptian citizen residing in Kuwait. So he's attempting to sue um, Discovery and Netflix from overseas, which is very difficult to do and mm -hmm. unfortunately it seems like the lawyers that he chose to do this are idiots which Aww. is really kind of sad yeah so the suit was filed august 19th and it was sent back by the judge to his lawyers on august 29th because they cited no fewer than 15 errors in important documents that should have been filed <sighs> so it, in some cases like he they sued the wrong company um they didn't file enough documents there were errors in the pdfs um they were supposed to issue a summons that hadn't been done it's just like full of kind of amateur hour stuff, which is really sad if he has a case that, you know, he hired some clowns who are not going to be able to get him any kind of satisfaction. But it seems some of the claims, and I don't know whether this is because he's just trying to pile as much stuff in as possible or because he really doesn't know what he's talking about. But, you know, he claims like the fact that, um, in the chamber where the tardigrade was, you'll remember when it was doing its magic, everything was sort of bluish. Right. Blue, like a transporter kind of effect. Mm -hmm. And he says that in his game, it was blue and that's where they got that from. And, you know, not really, you know. Yeah, it's, that's too minor. That's I a mean, really minor I think thing. really the, the whole idea that this tardigrade is the, the key to space travel. I mean, to me, that's huge. Right. It is huge. So it is. Um, a big question as to where he got the idea from mm -hmm. and where Discovery got the idea from. And, and we talked about the guy that Stamets is actually named after, right? Who's right, like right. the expert on fungus and stuff. So I'm not sure how much of a ground he really has here. And I guess it'll all come out in the documents, the legal documents that we see. Mm -hmm. um, somebody pointed out in another article that the tardigrade space travel idea um, is not unique. 
the guy says, if you put tardigrade space travel into Google, you'd perhaps expect to see Star Trek Discovery dominating the results. But no, what you see instead is years and years of popular science articles about the seemingly invincible little Earth beasties and their notorious ability to survive in a vacuum and in space. It's entirely plausible both projects were inspired by similar ideas and developed entirely independently, regardless of both coming to light around the same time. Hmm. So yeah, so make of, of that what you will. Um, I will also say that he he is trying to say in some of his character designs that they are the main cast of Discovery, and the guy who's supposed to be Stamets mm-hmm. doesn't look like Stamets. I mean, he's a blonde white guy, and that's about the extent of it. He's really beefy and muscly, and he's got giant mutton chop sideburns. <laughs> Doesn't look like Stamets. Doesn't doesn't look like Stamets. Well, the thing is, again, that's a stupid point to bring up if you're trying to make this case that, you know, they stole yeah. your idea. Because, I mean, casting and saying, we, we need somebody who looks like this video game character. No, I don't think so. Because, first of all, that would be in the, the casting sheet that goes out to yeah. agencies and everybody else. I mean, that would be really easy to track down. And, then, mm-hmm. you know, if he even if he did look like him, that would be total coincidence. It's It's very weird. And also, I don't quite understand the timeline. So this game he had was 2014. And... Discovery came out, um, what, just at the end of last year, right? 2017? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. But how long was it in development? That's that's what I would Mm -hmm. like to know. Because typically for TV shows, especially complicated ones like this, the germ of the idea is around for a while. It's not like they just rushed it into production. So if you count back from when the show actually premiered, it was all the filming that they did and then Mm -hmm. the casting, I would have to go and actually look to see when they started development on this. But I got to think some of it happened before this dude's video game came out and, you know, 2014, 2015, that's only Um, two years. Yeah, quite possibly. And I'm sure that uh, CBS All Access and all these various people, I mean, even before they bought it, whoever, you know, came up with it and went and pitched it, they've got dated documentation of yeah. showing appointments and, you know, memos and everything else that's going to show. They didn't just come up with this, like you yeah. say, a year and a half ago or something. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Um, we will definitely stay on top of this to see how it progresses and whether it actually moves forward or whether the judge decides to throw it out. I'm a little sad for the guy that he seems to have gotten some crappy uh, legal representation. But, yeah. You know, maybe these guys will you know, pull it out and go ahead and do it. But it's, it's a little uh, disheartening when they file it and it gets sent back by the judge for, um, you know, 15 different errors just in the paperwork part of it. It's like, come on, yeah. that's your job, man. You're, you're a lawyer. Learn how to do your job. Yeah. Well, the lawyer sent it back to them, right? He didn't just throw it out and say, we're not going to. Oh, no. The, the judge said, here, go ahead and make these changes and then we'll consider it. I think mm-hmm. they, they have to do that. It wasn't so inept that it, it could not be processed. <laughs> it just needed a lot of fixing. Okay. But what I want to talk about now is the award Star Trek is receiving. Oh, yes. That's so interesting. They are getting Star Trek, not any specific actor or Gene Roddenberry or whatever, is receiving the Governor's Award from the Television Academy. 
in recognition of its storied legacy in advancing science, society, and culture. I will admit, I didn't know what the I did not know what the governor's award was. Well, I will tell you. It <laughs> debuted in 1978, and it honors an individual or organizational achievement in the television arts and sciences that is exceptional and universal in nature and goes beyond the scope of annual Emmy Awards recognition. Previous recipients include um, American Idol, um, A&E Networks, Masterpiece Theater, and Comic Relief. Mm -hmm. And the chair, uh, Mark Spatney, the chair of the Governor's Award Committee, said, Star Trek is the first television program I can remember watching mm -hmm. as a child. Not only have all the franchises promoted inclusiveness and acceptance of all people and inspired creative thought about space exploration and our future, but the technical innovations sparked by the franchise are incredibly significant to the evolution of television production and also to the communication and computer tools we use in our daily lives. Yes, I agree with all that. I think oh. all of those things are true, and that's a really good reason to give Star Trek the award. But yes. I didn't know it was an award. <laughs> well, it is going to be presented to CBS Television Studios during the Creative Arts Emmy Awards ceremony on September 8th. Oh, that's very soon, actually. So who yes. do you think is going to go up there to receive it? Do you think they're going to give it to uh, Rod Jr.? There? I was thinking that, that, you know, that could happen. Um, it's not going to be Bill, is it? Do I you think it's going think to be so. Bill? No, I wouldn't think so. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Rod Roddenberry. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they might just go with the boring choice and pick who's ever head of CBS television now. Oh. But... Um, yeah, I just think that that's that's so cool. Yeah, it's interesting that they're just awarding it to Star Trek, like it's a building, or do you know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's like, like it's an entity now. I guess that's it what is. it is. They're they're recognizing it as an entity. So, mm -hmm. like the other things you were naming, um, American Idol. That's a long running show here in. Um, where else? They have it in England, don't they? Or something in England, yeah. And yeah, it originated in, in other places England, too, I believe. Yeah. 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 A&E Networks. Okay, that's a network. Mm -hmm. Masterpiece Theater, that was a that was a thing. Comic Relief, that's a, like a charity effort in England. Right. So they're recognizing Star Trek as an entity that comprises mm -hmm. um, all of the series and the movies and all of the awards that they've been given and all the people mm -hmm. that have been in there. I just, and I think the people who have written, the people who have acted, yeah. directed produced made props for they're right. all part Everybody of it connected. yeah it's so it, it's just it's weird to me to think of it that they're doing it that they're not giving an award to a specific person it's mm -hmm. not being given to the studio it's not being given to a set of writers or the creators right usually it's like right. the creators get the award well it was originally like stuff. created by Gene Roddenberry, but it has gone so far beyond that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, after he died, there have been series and, you know, yeah, the, the vision keeps rolling on and having new iterations. And it does say they honor an individual or organizational achievement. Mm -hmm. So, well, I wonder Star Trek where the is award... an organization. Where are they going to keep the award, though? Where are they going to put it? That's what I want to know. Probably at CBS headquarters. Oh, they should put it um, in the Smithsonian next to the Enterprise that's there, the Restored Enterprise. <sighs> yeah. That would be the right place for it. That's that what would I be think. very, very cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So congratulations, Star Trek. We are so <laughs> happy we are. for all the recognition you're getting and, and all the joy you have brought to us and to many people and the um, awareness you brought to people, the innovations that, you know, yes. have affected all of us. And the optimism, just the sheer yes. optimism that there yes. will be a future and it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it's, you know, as, as Edith Teeter said, and it's worth being around for, or whatever her <laughs> stupid line was. Oh, that's very good. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Let's see. All right. Um, well, we could talk about Bill for a minute because we do okay. talk about Bill. Bill's, I like Bill. Okay. Um, Let's see. Here's the headline. William Shatner rules out reprising Star Trek's Captain Kirk for a new TV series. Yep. And that's the headline, but the subhead is the best part of it. All it says is, he's busy. <laughs> well, he's always busy. He's always busy. I thought that could have been the whole article right there. That would William have been, Shatner's busy. <laughs> he's a busy, busy man. Busy man. Um, yep. So uh, this is people asking him... Because now, as we mentioned earlier in the last mm-hmm. show, that Picard is going to have his own new TV show doing whatever Picard, yeah, uh, driving around with Q in his van solving mysteries. That's what he's going to be doing. <laughs> so it's a buddy cop show. I it like is. It. It's, a, it's a buddy cop show. Yeah, and a rom-com mm-hmm. at the same time. So um, Bill says, no, I'm not going to do that. Right now, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, he told the Toronto Star. I've been offered many series over the years, but I haven't done them because of the commitment of time. And at this stage of my life, that's more valuable than anything else. That's true. Yeah. Uh, what else did he say? Um, I'm not sure where they pulled all these quotes from, if this is from the same uh, article or what. I didn't click through to read that. But Shatner previously said of a comeback, it would take a great deal of money. I don't <laughs> that know sounds what... like Bill. Sure, that does sound <laughs> like Bill. I don't know what you do with a character who appeared 50, now 51 years ago. You know, I am 51 years older with all the exigencies of age. What would Captain Kirk be like 50 years later with the sagacity of mind, yet the body doesn't do what he wants it to do? I mean, it's an interesting story. Hence yes. why he's written all those books about mm-hmm. Captain yes. Kirk. Uh, let's see. However, he also previously said he'd be open to appearing on Star Trek Discovery only if he was useful, which might make it a difficult fit. I don't know what that comment means. Well, I think it means, well, I don't know about the difficult fit, but he doesn't want to do a stunt cameo. Yes. Where, I you know, agree he, he has to be, or Kirk has to be part of the story. There has to be mm-hmm. a reason for it being Kirk and not somebody else. Right. Yep. I agree. Uh, yeah. So I, I think he, he just wanted to get this out there, given what Patrick Stewart's doing right now, so people will stop bugging him about it. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, we didn't did we talk about this last time? But the the new Star Trek movie, the the Chris Pine uh, Quinta movie, probably isn't going to be happening now. Or well, if it is uh, no, happen, we didn't talk be... about it. I think the last time we recorded, you were just starting to hear that there were, you know, they were having trouble coming to an agreement on salary. And then yeah. after that, you know, uh, Chris Pine and is the other Chris Evans? No, yeah. Hemsworth. Uh, Hemsworth. 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 Both said, okay, I'm out of this. So, um, yeah. 
And so I read an article mean? that just made me laugh so hard because oh, I wish I'd saved it. It was like, well, you can't possibly do this. I mean, yeah, without Hemsworth, you could, but you can't replace Chris Pine. I mean, he's brought <laughs> his own thing to this, and and he and the others have built this um this camaraderie, and you don't oh, just, yeah, you know, and sure. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think what they meant to say was, you can't do this without Captain Kirk, which would be accurate. It doesn't yes. <laughs> really matter that it's Chris Pine. But, but they also, a- you know, had it completely wrong as to what the new movies are, what this new universe is, as we've talked about, mm-hmm. where Spock is the hero and Kirk is just kind of this stumbling doofus. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, if if that's your Captain Kirk, I don't give a fuck who you cast, you know? <laughs> I wonder what they're going to do. Like, are they going to try to push through and do it without Kirk as a character? They're not going to kill him off, certainly. But would they make it a Spock-only story somehow? I I don't know. It's also a big question as to whether any of the other actors are going to bother to come back as well. Now that they see that Pine and Hemsworth are walking away, Mm -hmm. you know, why should they stick around? It's not like they're going to be getting that much more money. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll try to uh, find the link that you had sent, but there was a really good YouTube video over why the Star Trek, the new Star Trek movies have turned out the way they did and why oh. this one is having uh, budgetary issues. And it was super interesting. It was all this mm-hmm. behind the scenes stuff inside baseball that I really didn't know anything about. It was very, very good. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is part of keeping a franchise going is you know, regularly feeding the beast. Mm -hmm. And if they're really gone, they're kind of like back to square one. It's like, okay, what happens to your script now? I think you might need a new script, right? (laughs) Definitely. You can't just cross out those two guys' lines and say, here, do it. You know, yeah, especially when the whole storyline was supposed to be like a George Kirk kind of thing where Uh we were going to see some development going on there. So, yeah, I think that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Although I can't say I'm surprised that uh, Pine and Hemsworth decided to bail after hearing about what they were being offered, like what a severe cut in pay they were being offered because of all these investment problems that Paramount, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was like, you know, those last two movies, they grossed a fair amount of money and, you know, there's going to be people who go see it and what they were offering them was really not commensurate with Mm -hmm. what they deserve now, especially Hemsworth because he's such a huge star after all the Marvel movies. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what Bill's been doing. Um, well, one Bill's of the been, many things. Bill has one been of the many things. everywhere lately. It's true. Um, do you want to talk about that now or do you want to take – we could take a little break and then let's, come back and talk let's about Let's take a little thing. break. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news.
welcome back to our journey through Bill Land and, <laughs> and Trekkieville and all these other things. And now we want to get to a big juicy, juicy topic, which you've probably heard about that, because um, we were saying Bill's everywhere. He is promoting yes. his new book, Live Long And. And, yeah, very, uh, so, very um, mysterious because there's an ellipse after the word and, just yes. so that you know. So, um, yes, that is, you know, pretty exciting. He's been out, you know, talking about it and some different things that are in it. But, and I have not seen this anywhere, this specific thing, since it scared me half to death, which was a sound clip. So there's an audio version of the book. And mm -hmm. I believe it was probably the first couple paragraphs because he starts out talking about, life and you know what he's learned and blah 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 and then he gets into talking about death and then he tells us oh but he also confirmed my theory which is mm -hmm. he can't die because he's got a, a job next week uh, right as exactly. long as he yeah. keeps working it's not happening anyway then he just says um a couple years ago he uh you know, he had medical exams, tests that you normally do, and was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer. Mm. And I like, oh, my God. And then the damn thing ended. That was it. You know, way to sell a book, Bill. But um, I had posted it to our Facebook page before I listened to it. So I instantly went and took it down before anybody else could, you know, mm. have a heart attack, too. And uh, did a little research, and I did find something that said, um, talking about the book, saying he talks about this after a um, a medical scare two years ago. Mm -hmm. So I was mm -hmm. like, okay, so it wasn't the real thing, and but that's what motivated him to, I guess, do certain things. Um, and then earlier today, I did read that it was a false diagnosis. Oh, well, so that's good. We are I all very to, happy about that. Well, yes, and I wanted to warn everybody, you know, if you listen to it or, mm -hmm. you know, read it or whatever, when you hit that, don't, you know, start ordering the flowers and everything because <laughs> that that's not the issue. So. <sighs> I wonder if that's what encouraged him to start writing this book. Well, it might well be. Mm. Um, so there's an article uh, yes. in trekmovie.com, and it's a little bit of a summary, and it's called Seven New Things We Learned from William Shatner's Revealing Memoir, his latest in a series of memoirs called Live Long And. And I will just say, I know I already said this to you about five times already, I hate the picture on the cover of the book. and. <laughs> I, I'm just going to stick to that story because I think it's not a good picture of him. It's very heavily airbrushed and mm -hmm. he looks like he's not looking at the camera. He's looking off to the side and his eyes look like they're going in two different directions. And it's just, I don't think it's a good picture. And I'm kind of sad that he chose it. Anyway. Well, I was just so excited that he was smiling that I didn't really look at it in the detail you did. So, Okay. That's just me. Uh, let's see. So here are seven things we learned about William Shatner. Number one, he did magic mushrooms in Amsterdam. <laughs> I find this hilariously funny. And it sounds like it wasn't that long ago either. Uh, well, um, you know, I went... read about it somewhere else too. Did and you? And it made it sound like it was, it was longer ago. 
So we're going to have to read the book to find out, you know. Of course, yeah. Well, it was with Liz, his current wife. Well, and that's they what they say been... in this article. <laughs> yeah, so they've been, they haven't been together all that long. I mean, no, you know. No, it's like 10 years or so. 10 years. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the difference between him doing this in Amsterdam in 2006 as opposed to 1976 is, mm-hmm. is quite a gap. So he, he said that... Uh, They were offered magic mushrooms in one of Amsterdam's famous coffee shops, and he says, Somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I remember reading that Alice in Wonderland was actually the description of a psychedelic trip. Well, I always loved Alice in Wonderland, and if it were possible to visit Wonderland, that appealed to me. So we haven't read the book. We can't tell you what happened. But the person writing this article says, uh, despite eating the same batch of mushrooms, he and his wife had very, very different experiences. Yeah. So this will be interesting. Yeah. And, you know, they do say that psychedelics uh, are very intimately connected to your inner personality. So Mm -hmm. I'm just dying to see what kind of came out of him or where he ended up going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, number two, he felt unwelcome at Leonard Nimoy's funeral. I don't think that's really new. We kind of knew that. No, and but he, it's it's kind of heartbreaking when you read this, you know. It is. It really is. And he said this before that he still doesn't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, yet at the end of his life and for reasons I still don't know, he was not my friend. I would call him and he wouldn't answer the phone or return any messages. He died and I didn't feel welcome at his funeral. And yeah, that is very, very sad. Yeah. And, and I think it's not just that he didn't feel welcome. Um, Like two paragraphs up, there's a quote. He said, it was made clear to me that mm-hmm. I was not welcome at the funeral. So it's like yeah. a family member or a close friend said, Bill, yeah. he very specifically did not want you there. Or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's, you know, so Leonard died um in 2015. It's now three years later. I find it a little weird that nobody has explained this since then either. You know, Mm -hmm. I I can't believe that nobody knew, not one person besides Leonard understood why he felt that way. Yeah, you would think, um, you know, Leonard's wife or family member or close friend, but maybe they all just kind of agreed. I don't know, that maybe it showed a bad side of Leonard. And so they're keeping it quiet. I mean, there could be a lot of reasons, you know, or respecting his privacy. You know, maybe he had said, I I don't want this played up or whatever, you know, there could be a lot of reasons. I guess I I just feel like for for them to be so close for so long and then Mm -hmm. for Leonard to just really cut off contact, it would seem like a thing that you could do for Bill just to put his mind at rest or just to, to yeah. clear it up, you know, oh, but I he agree. doesn't die not knowing really. Mm-hmm. And even if it was a bad reason and if it was something, who knows what it was, like you said, it could have been something big or important or something small and petty. And well, we just don't know. And it doesn't, it's not like they have to reveal what it was, but just so that Bill doesn't die, not knowing what the thing was that happened at the end. Right. Right. And we don't know uh, when this decision was made and how, lucid Leonard was towards mm-hmm. the end you know I yeah. mean there's just so many different factors but it, it is very sad it is it really is so there you go um 
let's see, number three, I believe. Yes. He's not the guy to go to for financial advice. Yeah. And they cite uh, his bad uranium investment and then the fact that he got um, screwed out of a lot of Priceline because he sold it before mm-hmm. it bounced back to where it is now. Yeah. <laughs> Bill says, it was an interesting learning experience. And the next time I'm worth several hundred million dollars on paper, I won't make the same mistake. <laughs> Oh, well. Yeah. Now, this next one, the opening night of his one-man show on Broadway was the stuff of every actor's nightmare. So he's talked about this, but he never got in his graphic detail about this um, as he did here, unless you'd read this somewhere else. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I kind of knew this, but I can't remember exactly where I, where I read the, the graphic detail. <laughs> <laughs> Bill had said, and we heard him say this, I think, in a couple of different times when we saw him, that the first night of his Broadway premiere, he got food poisoning and he was really sick. But he did it anyway. He went on because the show had to go on. It hit him hard while he was on stage. And uh, he says, halfway through the show, I crapped in my pants and then had to leave the stage. Uh, I remember reading that somewhere, too, Mm -hmm. in order to, to change his pants. Now, he said the thing about the food poisoning, but I didn't know it was that bad that he actually had to crap in his pants. That sounds terrible. Well, yeah. I think he told it as a story at a con where he didn't, where he said it rather obliquely. Uh Uh-huh. And, or he said he had told it to an audience and said it rather obliquely and they didn't understand what he was saying. So he had to clarify it by saying, you know, <laughs> Captain Kirk pooped his pants or something, you know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that just sounds like the worst thing ever. Well, and Bill, because he gives 110%, went out there and he made that show a hit and critics loved it. And it was great. That's, He's still doing it and still doing right. it all over the that's world. That's right. Going to Australia so he can do it there and crap in his pants in Australia. (laughs) All around the world. (laughs) All around the world. In every country. Okay. Uh, Next one. His biggest regret is that he hunted for sport. I thought this was so interesting. Yes. He says, my greatest regret is that I once was a hunter and I killed beautiful animals. I don't know how I could have done that. I can't relate to the mindset necessary to set out to kill a living animal because it makes you feel powerful or successful. It chills me inside when I think about the pain I inflicted. And that for me was really huge because I'd always wondered about that. You know, Mm -hmm. he he always talked about having to go hunting and given how close he is to his horses, it seemed like, Something must have changed for him. Yeah, yeah, he seems like, you know, except for rats, quite the animal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that, I thought that was good. I'm glad he talked about that and he, Mm -hmm. he addressed it. Uh, next one. He admits that directing Star Trek V was not the best choice he could have made. And I think we all agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. Enough said. (laughs) Enough said there. And the last one is uh, he once did a stand-up comedy act as Captain Kirk, and it was not successful. Um, We read about this or heard about it somewhere else that he'd gone up, and it was at one of those open mic comedy clubs, and he got up and did this act before, like, the main person went on, and people really did not like it. I'm not sure he did it as Captain Kirk, though, but I guess we'll have to see what he says in the book. Yeah. You know what's funny is um, 
I was listening, you know, to one of my playlists a couple weeks ago, and the thing he did to open um, Just for Laughs in Montreal when he did that, the I Am Canadian thing. Oh, yes, yes, I love it. And it was just so much fun listening to it again, and I've heard it so many times, pretty much got it memorized, so, you know, no surprises coming up. But to listen to how perfectly he times every pause how he builds it so carefully <laughs> and how he plays that audience you know reels them in and they're just eating it up it's really really a great live recording i think i love it well oh, he's such an actor he's such an actor's actor oh yes you know, he just has it all down he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing all the time so confident it's just great now also speaking of news from bill the yes. big news, of course, is the book is out now, and so, of course, we have to read it. But his country album is out. Oh, that's right. That's, yeah, so we're going to have to get the, hold the, of that. The playlist, you know, has been posted, and he's working with some great people. He's got Henry Rollins with him again, yes. and, you know, great country artists, and um, it's called Why Not Me, and I am dying to hear this, so got to get that. Um, and he's also taking pre-orders for his Christmas album. Yes. So that's going to be very interesting also. Mm-hmm. I uh, I don't know if it's going to, well, who knows if it's going to work or not. Um, it, it will, let's see if I can find the list. I should have pulled this up before, but um, Shatner Christmas album. Let's Google that and see what happens. Okay. It's called Shatner Claus. Shatner Claus. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. That's really good find anything no it does i wanted to find a, a track list and i don't see one um although i think i'd seen a couple of things like some of the songs are old and uh like i think uh it might even be a version of jingle bells that's on there but yeah. some of the songs yeah some of the songs are new though they're they're new things that he's doing uh just you know had someone write a, a new take on a, a christmas mm. song just Okay. I don't know what that's going to be. Here it is. Shatner Claus, the Christmas album. Sorry, I had to go find it on Amazon. Okay. Um, Here it is. Jingle Bells featuring Henry Rollins. Blue Christmas featuring Brad Paisley. Oh, no, they're old, all old songs. Okay, my mistake. I thought there were new things. Okay. Um, Little Drummer Boy, Winter Wonderland, Twas the Night Before Christmas, Run, Rudolph, Run, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Silver Bells. Now, this one says, one for you, one for me. Is that a song you know? No. Oh, it's, that's, that's the original one. Okay. Doesn't say who wrote it. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, gotta Rudolph get the Red-Nosed that. Reindeer. Yeah. Uh, Silent mm-hmm. Night featuring Iggy Pop. Uh, White Christmas featuring Judy Collins. Ooh. And, yeah. Feliz Navidad. Um, and there's also a different punk rock version of Jingle Bells featuring Henry Rollins. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, it's available for pre-order right now. And you can get it. I think if you order it from his website, um, does he sign it? Or you get a copy of Spirit of the Horse if you ordered the, the album. You know, <laughs> and know I've why. looked and looked, and there is not an audio version of Spirit of the Horse. Oh, that's too bad. I'd love to hear him read some of that stuff. Yeah, me too. Jeez. Oh, oh that's kind of sad. Oh, I wonder why. Uh, maybe I'll, a- mm-hmm. I'll ask him on Twitter, not that he's going to answer me or anything. But, um, yeah, so William Shatner, Shatner Claus, and there's a goofy-ass picture on the cover of this, if this really is what the CD is going to look like. 
I don't know. Did you see it? I mean, he's like, yes. He's, it looks like it's about 100 degrees outside. He's got a Santa Claus hat on his head. He's wearing a black T-shirt and then like a Santa jacket over the top of it and aviator sunglasses. And he's kind of like leaning on a on something in, in <laughs> on out, something. outdoors and then they photoshopped in a Christmas tree sort of to his right there and then it looks like it's wrapped like a present it's very badly done I'm sorry yeah yeah okay oh, all right Bill well as soon as we get our hot little hands on these things the albums and the book we will be reviewing them on this here show yes yes okay new topic yeah. This article we're going to talk about is from a series of articles called Good Trek, Bad Trek. It's on Red Shirts Always Die. And what it is, is this guy is a Trekkie, the writer of this, but he had never seen any of TOS. So he is now watching them. And not necessarily in order, I don't think, but he posts his take on them and they're always funny he's you know i like i like him as a writer this one <laughs> oh man it's so good it's so good it's so good um now are they are they always written by the same person because this i believe written so. by a woman it's oh, juliana woman? sabo yeah oh okay well maybe it's a woman right okay i love her anyway um so she sort of like recaps where no man has gone before that's the episode and then it says, uh, yes, there's a deeper meaning in metaphors and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on at some great length and is very, very funny about a white man can't play con. Mm -hmm. And uh, then so, you know, gets through that and says, I'm here to talk about what Star Trek Into Darkness could have and should have been a movie inspired by Where No Man Has Gone Before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and definitely. later on it says in the, you know, the fan forums before the movie came out, there was all this speculation about, well, if Cumberbatch isn't playing Khan, who's he playing? And Gary Mitchell was a name that uh, that came up a lot. Yeah. I We talked about that. I remember yes, thinking, yes. wow, that would be amazing if that was going to happen. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Well, here goes. For starters, Gary Mitchell is a white man, <laughs> which Cumberbatch is well suited to play. <laughs> Absolutely. But I love this sentence. Back in 2012, we naively and optimistically trusted Jar Jar Abrams, <laughs> assuming he would not be ignorant enough to whitewash Khan, oh, how wrong we were. But most mm. importantly, Gary Mitchell is a great character with an interesting story. Not to mention Mitchell and Khan are somewhat similar. They both have God complexes. Gary Mitchell has the ability to bend reality to his will. Khan is a genetically enhanced Superman. Um, blah, 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 blah. With Mitchell, we get the added emotional weight of our antagonist being a longtime friend of Kirk. Still, we are given a crude rehash of the film Trek fans have already seen and loved. It felt like a cheap pandering to non-fans and a slap mm -hmm. in the face to longtime fans. We already had a con movie. <laughs> really? Give us something new, something that could excite non-fans while also appeasing diehard Star Trek fans. Give us Gary Mitchell. Or at least a con I, played by an actual Indian man. <laughs> really? I totally agree with all the things that were there. I remember when we talked about it at the time that it could have been Gary Mitchell. And 
The only issue I would have with Gary Mitchell is who they would have cast to play him because I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch would have been a good choice for that. Oh, no, no, he's not at not, all. Not at all. He's not that character. No. But who, would, but who, who could they have chosen to well, play here, him? I want to go off on a, a side tangent. After having seen a couple of Jar Jar Abrams' works <laughs> and what he did to Kirk, I am really kind of glad <laughs> that it wasn't uh, okay. Gary Mitchell, you know, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, who has that, that arrogance and, and swagger that mm-hmm. not just Gary Mitchell, but Gary Lockwood. Lockwood. I well, mean, the obvious choice would have been to just hire Gary Lockwood to do it again. And I'm sure he would have be been old, right there yeah. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, have him come out of the grave. Well, yeah, you get old laying in a grave for a few years, Jim. Um, <laughs> That's right. Still super powered, but just very old now. Um, yeah. I don't know. I got to say, I am not well versed in current actors uh, beyond a very small circle of them because there are too many and they all look the same to me. Uh, so yes. I don't know. But um, Well, and among the actors uh, that age, like the age uh, Lockwood was when he played it and the age uh, you know Shatner was when he was first playing Kirk, the actors in that age, the young, hunky actors who are so hot, um, are 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 all like you said they all look alike but they're also they all specialize in the exact same thing which is snark yeah. you know playing these yeah. flippant sort of guys that's not who Gary Mitchell was even before he was godlike you know he didn't he didn't have that going i mean he joked no. around with jim but it wasn't this i don't know this very modern i don't give a fuck attitude no, no. I And I can't there, think of anybody who projects that or even yeah. comes close enough to it. I, I posted to our Facebook group recently, um, someone, because I saw it on a different group, that someone had put in uh, on YouTube the little clip of the alternate opening to where yes. where we see him swaggering down the corridor. And every time I watch that, I go, that's him. That is all of Gary Mitchell in that, what is that, like, four seconds of him if walking down long. the corridor. Yeah. It's it's amazing that he was able to just kind of pull everything about that character all together. And I was noticing this time, you know, it's it's a red alert. And mm-hmm. he's not running. Everybody else is running. And he's just like sauntering down the yeah. corridor like he's got all the time in the world. Yep. He's looking at the, the yeoman and he's just kind of like, yep, this is my gig. This is my ship and everything. Yep. <laughs> it's just... Amazing. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who you could get to be like that. Yeah. And then who could make this switch into, you know, super powered, um, godlike homicidal rage, which he was also very good at. Yes. But, but, but also anybody, if you try to do that, if that doesn't sort of come easily or naturally to you, mm-hmm. it, it, it comes off as a very negative thing and you wouldn't believe he could have been good friends with Kirk and you do believe it of this guy. Because I think yeah. he plays to that part of Kirk. Mm-hmm. He totally does. Now, the other interesting thing is that I'm not sure that they could even do that story if it was the same type of story. Because when we're watching We're No Man, it's the first episode, right? And we mm-hmm. don't really know that much about Kirk yet. Right. And, you know, we're given some background, even though he's a fully formed character and, and we do know very quickly who he is. It's entirely reasonable to say, hey, this is a guy who used to be really good friends with the, the Academy and now he works on he, now we work together on my ship. But the Kirk of the movies, he doesn't have any friends. 
right? Yeah. It's like he went through all of Starfleet Academy and didn't make a single friend because yep. we never saw him with anybody but um, McCoy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with uh, various girlfriends, you know, even mm-hmm. when he's trying to cozy up to Uhura at the bar, he doesn't have any friends. He's not there with any friends. Yeah. Like, you couldn't believe that Kirk went through the Academy and actually made a friend that was his best friend mm-hmm. that they hung around and they did things and they studied and they did all the things that they were supposed to do. And, you know, Kirk was his um, whatever TA in mm-hmm. whatever class that he like references. You can't believe that about Chris Pine's character. No. So they no. would have to come up with a totally different story for how they had a relationship. And I don't even know what would be believable for mm-hmm. Chris Pine's Kirk. I can't think of anything. And maybe, Maybe they they weren't friends. Maybe they were antagonists. Maybe he was the Finnegan of that universe. I don't know. But then that just takes everything away from it. I know. I know. Because as they point out, or as she points out in this article, he was a good friend of Kirk's. This isn't just like one of his officers, as if that's nothing. But I mean, they have a real history. Yeah. They, and, and I mean, they say, I think they use the word best friend in the, in the show, right? In the episode, doesn't he call him that? I'm not He's sure not if just... they say best friend, but I know, you know, a, a lot is made of the fact of he's your friend. You asked for him on your first command. Yeah. And, you know, all yeah, of that. Yeah. yeah. So he is somebody not only that is a friend, but that Kirk respects enough to yes. want him yeah, he's a he's a good officer, and he wants him on the ship because yep. he would never request anybody to serve on the ship who was incompetent. Because that right, totally right. didn't Kirk. Hmm. I'm gonna have to research this now and see if he does call him his best friend. I'll okay. I'll, I'll report okay. back on that later. <laughs> he's also, ah. I believe, never identified as first officer. There, as far from walking, from watching just that episode, you wouldn't know that there is a first officer. I mean, yeah, Spock is very... the science officer and Mitchell is the navigator or yeah, in the role it... of the navigator, but we don't see Kirk having specifically a second in command. It was very nebulous in those early episodes. They hadn't quite sorted it out yet. Right, right. And uh, that, But yeah. that's become a fanon thing that, you know, he was yeah. Kirk's first officer. Mm-hmm. Um, according to, let's see, what am I looking at? The Memory Alpha Wiki, it says, uh, Lieutenant Commander, so he was a Lieutenant Commander, um, he was a male human Starfleet officer. He served in the Operations Division aboard the Enterprise. Um, it does not say that he was the first officer. It just says mm-hmm. he was the helmsman. That's all. Yeah, okay, helmsman. Hmm. But he's but sitting you're right. in the navigator spot. Well, yeah, maybe they hadn't know. worked that out yet either. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> I agree that it's definitely Fanon that he was the first officer because I've read that in in many, many stories. Oh, yeah. 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 (sighs) Well, it could have been. I don't know. It would have been it would have been good. I hope I hope they don't do it ever (laughs) because it would be bad. Well, yeah. Maybe they'll reboot again and this time they destroy Earth. Mm. (laughs) That would be all right. That, yeah, that would it'd be fair. No, it it would be fair. It would, <laughs> it would totally be, be fair. fair. <laughs> you got to blow another one up. You can't just do Vulcan. You got to do right. it. That's right. That's right. Got to do it. 
Um, just to, to wrap things up, I would like to follow up and I will post this uh, to Facebook at some point, but um, I was doing some research into uh, the shoes that Nona was wearing in A oh. Private Little War. Yes. <laughs> you brought it up and I thought, well. I must get to the bottom of this. So I went and I looked through all of the um, screen caps. They have high def screen caps at trekcore.com and mm-hmm. I, I found three. Uh, she... In the first part of this show, she's wearing shoes. In the second part of the show, she's barefoot. Uh, and that's because in the second part of the show, it's after Kirk catches her taking a shower in the waterfall. Oh, taking so, a shower. Yeah. Um, she barely has time to like get her clothes back on for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. And then I don't think she ever gets to go back to their homestead or something. And um, so she's barefoot. And then she dies. But in the first part, she's wearing little shoes. And they do have heels. They're not high heels. But there's a couple of shots where she's either sitting or um, kind of standing. And she has her feet arched in a way that makes it look like she's wearing high heels. Hmm. Um, And I wonder if that was just her doing it or whether the director said, you know, do something to make your leg look sexier. Um, But if you looked at it very quickly and you hadn't seen the shoes in another shot, you would definitely go, oh, they must have high heels because of the way she's holding her foot. But but they were a small heel, I would say like Mm -hmm. an inch or something. And Mm -hmm. they're sort of lace up. They go with the rest of her costume. Right. So that's the uh, definitive answer to the question. Good work. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) I had to know. I just started thinking about it. I was like, well, I got to figure this out because, you know, she's my gal and I got to know these things. That's right. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. So big, big things going on now, people. There's Bill's book. There's his country album and the pre-order for the Christmas album. Mm -hmm. So tis the season of Bill. It is. He's very busy. He's been doing a lot of publicity. He's been doing a lot of cons still. Uh, he's going to Australia soon, I believe, to do uh, Shatner's World, so he'll be gone for a while. He's cut back on his tweeting quite a lot, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really good thing. I think so, too. <laughs> he's also been doing uh, a number of those uh, Wrath of Khan screenings, and I oh, saw he right. was doing yeah. some one somewhere that's not Chicago. It was so mm-hmm. much cheaper than Chicago. Oh, that's annoying. Oh, I that they know. would jack the price up for the cities. Oh, that's well, and it's not, fair. it wasn't even really in the city. It was in yeah. Rosemont. Rosemont. Yeah. And we know what a hole that is. <laughs> oh, no, not Rosemont. I'm sorry. It was way, way, way further out. But I mean, it wasn't even in the city. Oh, that's very bad. I don't yeah. like that when they do that. Mm. Yeah. So listeners, if you read Bill's book or if you listen to the country album, we'd love to know what you think about it. We'll certainly be discussing it here, but we would love to get your opinion on uh, the stories that he tells, uh, how much of those stories in the book are really true and how much are just things that he made up because he thought they sounded good. And uh, what what you think about his his new record. And we'll all be listening to a lot of Christmas music when that comes out. I think it comes out in October. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's it. Is there anything else that we needed to talk about? I feel like we've covered all our things. We have covered it all. Okay. And uh, as always, we love doing our show for you guys and bringing you the news and our opinions for whatever they're worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we've always got opinions. You oh, know? well, there's, yeah. There's no, no shortage of that. Opinions so, yeah. are us. <laughs> 
So please uh, drop by the Facebook page and see what's going on. There's always new stuff there that we don't even talk about on the show because there's just stuff happening. That's all the right. Time. You want to you want to keep up with that. Yeah, and you know links to clips on on YouTube and various other places. So please do that and send us stuff. Feel free to to send us oh, things yes. for the Facebook page. Yes, yes, we'll yes. There as well. That'd be good. So uh, thanks again for listening, everyone. We really do appreciate you sticking with us for such a long time. We love you so much. Yes, indeed. And and until our next show, as always, live long and potluck. Potluck. (laughs) Potluck.